we'll get started and uh guess those who are not here will have to just listen to the recording so we left off on page 104 of our workbook we're talking about covenanting and we were doing a just an overview walkthrough of um, of the covenants that are made between God and man throughout the scripture and we ended with the covenant at Mount Sinai we looked at Exodus chapter 20 and we we saw that covenant there and uh, Exodus 24 goes further and, and explicitly calls it uh, the covenant uh, and it is the covenant in blood uh, something that we'll see later on as we get to the new covenant so in order to understand covenanting the practice of covenanting you have to understand what covenants are that they are uh, agreements promises uh, that are made by God to his people uh, and, and all of the covenants that are made are uh, reflections of the covenant of grace the covenant that God made with Adam and in Genesis 315 uh, and so what we're doing is we're walking through these covenants and we're seeing how God is more narrowly uh, pointing in on how he is going to fulfill uh, this plan of salvation this plan of redemption through the covenant of grace and that it began with Adam, and then it was narrowed down to Noah and his family, and then it was narrowed down to Abraham and his family. It was narrowed down to Israel, uh, and uh, that is where we left off, that it was narrowed down to Israel as a particular people, and God has uh, established this covenant with them as a nation. And so our workbook goes directly from Sinai to Christ. Um, we're missing a major covenant in between there, and that is the covenant with David. And this is the covenant that narrows it down even further. So the covenants uh, leading up to this really just narrow it down to the nation of Israel. It is the covenant that's made with David that narrows it down to uh, one who comes in the line of David. And that covenant with David is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We read, and it came to pass when the king sat in his house, the Lord had given him rest round about all from all his enemies. That the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar. The ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said unto the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart. 
for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me an house for me to dwell in, whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. And in all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I the word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Will, Why build ye not me an house of cedar? Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto the, my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more, as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he, will be, he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee in thine house, and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So there we see that the covenant promise is now narrowed down to come from the lineage of David. That David's throne would be an everlasting throne. That his kingdom will be established forever. And we see uh, in Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 and in other Psalms, uh, the kingly nature of Christ who is the uh, one who sits on the throne of David. And so it's, it's from this covenant onward that the expected uh, Messiah is to come from uh, the lineage of David, uh, not simply from the house of Judah, uh, but but more specifically from the lineage of David. And we see that as we get to uh, 
get to the New Testament, we see in the genealogy of Christ that he is called the son of David. And that's because he is in the lineage of David. And so God then confirms his covenant by a new and final administration in Christ who fulfills all of its terms and earns its blessings for all God's people. Christ is the height of this covenant of grace because he is the one who is able to fully keep it, to fully uh, fulfill the terms of the covenant. Uh, can I get someone to read Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one? Okay, so there we see this prophecy concerning the new covenant. God promises that he will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Excuse me. Uh, Hebrews 8, 6, and 7. But now, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. All right, so we see that Christ is the mediator of this better covenant, this new covenant which is greater uh, than the the covenant of old, and then Hebrews nine fifteen. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, uh, so that those excuse me, those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance, since the death has occurred that redeems them. All right, so we see there once again that uh, Christ is the mediator of this New Testament, of this new covenant. Um, and what what is the reason given for Christ being the mediator of this covenant? Exactly. Uh, that they may have redemption for the transgressions that were under the first testament, and they might be uh, they might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. So we see there the 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 glorified nature of this new covenant, this final administration of the covenant of grace. But it's important to note that. Uh, the term New Covenant or New Testament uh, does not mean that God has discarded His covenant that He made with Abraham that was an everlasting covenant. Uh, 
It's the same covenant in that uh, it is the covenant of grace. It is a new covenant in that it is a new administration of the covenant of grace. What's new is the way in which the terms and the blessing of the covenant are administered. Old Testament saints were under the same covenant of grace as New Testament Christians, but the administration differs. The Old Covenant pointed forward to the new. Uh, the ceremonial laws were a type of the completed work of Christ and were made valid by God in anticipation of Christ's work. So those things of the Old Testament, all the ceremonial aspects pointed towards Christ and found their fulfillment in his life and his work. And so for both Old and New Testament times, salvation was by faith in God's Son as the one who keeps the covenant for us. So it is not that it is a different covenant, but it is a new administration of the covenant. And that's the final administration of the covenant of grace. Now, if that's the final administration of the covenant of grace, then why are we sitting here talking about covenanting? Well, that's because covenanting is a, uh, an expression of the covenant of grace. It is man's recognition of his duties in the covenant of grace applied to particular instances. And so... God's people in the Old Covenant, on the Old Testament, they engaged in, solid, uh, in solemn periods of covenant renewal. Uh, we, you may recall, uh, in our communion season, I preached a sermon on covenant renewal uh, from 2 Kings chapter 23, and we'll get there in just a bit. Uh, covenant renewal is a common thing that occurs throughout the Old Testament. And so this act of public covenanting is a reaffirmation of the faithfulness of God's covenant uh, and of the people's faithfulness to God's covenant. Uh, such covenants of men are not on the same level as God's own covenant of grace. Men's religious covenants are to be viewed as pledged renewals of what God has already declared in His Word. There are many indications that the vow or, and or covenants uh, were important parts of the social and business life of the Israelites. And there are also biblical references to personal religious oaths or vows. 
And so in the same vein, Scripture speaks of Israel as a nation or as a religious body engaging in formal acts of covenanting with the Lord. And these covenants are not to be construed as bargaining with God, but they are a pertinent uh, or a penitent response of God's people to his gracious covenant. And as a response or as a covenant, they pledge the people to renewed obedience and application of the terms God has already set down. And that's important. These covenants do not uh, bring forth anything new. They are simply a recognition of the covenant that God has made and man's uh, obligation to that covenant. And so it is a reaffirmation. It is a, uh, a renewal of that covenant on man's side of the covenant. So let's look at a few examples of this. Go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 11, verse 17. I'll read it. <clears throat> and Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people between the king also and the people. All right, so here we're looking at a king um, of the people of God, and he is making a covenant between the Lord, uh, the king, and the people. Now we're 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 the Israelites already God's people. Okay. But what does it say Jehoiada makes the covenant to be? It says that he made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. Why? Or, or for what reason? That they should be the Lord's people between the king also and the people. It's a renewing of the covenant. It's not making a new covenant. It is recognizing an aspect of the covenant of grace, which is that the Israelites are the people of God, and it is renewing their commitment, not that God would make them his people. He's already done that. But that they would live as the people of God. It's a renewed commitment to their terms of the covenant to live as the people of God, meaning submission to him and his ways. You see how nothing new is made in this covenant. It's just recognizing a covenant that God has already made with his people. All right, 2 Kings 23, I already mentioned that one. Uh, 2 Kings 23, which is the uh, 
Reformation under King Josiah. And in verse 3, we read, And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes with all their heart and all their soul and to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people stood to the covenant. What did uh, Josiah on behalf of the people covenant for the nation to do? To walk after the Lord and keep all His commandments and testimonies and His statutes with all their heart and soul to perform the words of the covenant that are written in this book. Yeah. 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 So, uh, oftentimes there there is a period of of apostasy, of falling away from the Lord, and then there is a revival, and there is a time of covenant renewal after that time of revival. Uh, that's not always the case, but that does seem to be somewhat a pattern in especially within the the old covenant people of God. Um, but we'll, we'll get to Nehemiah and Nehemiah, the covenant that's there is not after a gross period of neglect. It's after, uh, a blessing of the Lord and being freed from, uh, bondage in Babylon and able to return back to, um, to the promised land. But here we see that the covenant that Josiah makes is to walk after the Lord, keep his commandments and testimonies and statutes, and to perform the words of the covenant. Nothing is new there. Those obligations were already placed upon the people of God, were they not? And so all this does is reaffirm that the people understand their covenant that they have with the Lord and that they are going to stand to it. They are making this covenant that's already been established to be their own personal covenant. They're making it their own. And now Nehemiah 9.38 and then 10.29 or 28 and 29. So 1.9.38. All right, so uh, if you know the story of Nehemiah, it is going back unto uh, Jerusalem uh, to rebuild that city, and the, the Babylonian king freed them and gave them the ability to go do this, and uh, actually he recognizes and commands the people in his realm to fear the God of Israel, uh, which is really interesting. Um, so we see an aspect of, of a pagan king uh, 
uh, or the king of a pagan nation recognizing to some degree we don't know if it's a, if it's a true salvation that he experiences but to some degree he recognizes the true religion and calls upon all of the people in his realm to fear the true god uh, but in in sending the people back here we we see that they make a covenant and who is this covenant uh who are the uh, ones who join in with this covenant. The uh, princes, the Levites, and the priests. The princes, the Levites, and the priests. And that's interesting because here we see that it's not just a religious aspect that these covenants have. You know, they're not just for the church. Covenants are for the nation as well. And that's why princes take these covenants. It's because the covenants are for the nations as well. They're not just for the church. Nehemiah 10, 28 and 29. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the names. And all they that have separated themselves from the people of the land unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, their and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they place to their brethren, their nobles, and enter into a curse, and into an oath to walk into God's law, which was given by Moses the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord of the Lord our Lord, and his judgments and his statutes. Alright. So first of all, who takes this covenant? You don't have to list all of them. Just who takes this covenant? Princes, Levites. It's everyone. Yeah. It's not just princes, Levites, and priests. It's everyone. Like even down to sons and daughters, uh, porters, singers, everyone. And this, this goes back, and, and, and if we would have read the whole section in Second Kings 23, you would have seen this as well. All from the greatest to the least take the covenant. There's no one who's exempt from these national covenants. Um, and so what we see here, the terms of this covenant, first of all, I want you to notice that it is called a curse and an oath. Why is it called a curse and an oath? You may remember this from a few weeks ago when I preached on oaths and vows. Why is it called a curse and an oath? Yeah, so when you're taking these oaths and vows, when you're making these covenants, you are placing yourself under the covenant blessings of the of that covenant that you're that you're vowing to but also the covenant curses that there there are curses that will be poured out upon you for failure to uphold the covenant and the people understood that and they took these uh curses and these blessings and placed themselves under them and they made this covenant 
and uh, they, their covenant was to walk in God's law, to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord and all of His judgments and His statutes. Now, is there anything new in that covenant? It sounds very similar to all the other covenants that we've seen. These covenant renewals, right? They're very basic. Now, as we, as we move forward in history and we uh, get to some of the covenants that are made following the closing of Scripture, some of the national covenants, uh, and we'll get to those next week, but as we get to those, you'll see that, that some of the particular aspects uh, of, of what they are covenanting are, are unique. You know, you, you think about the, the National Covenant of Scotland in 1638. There is uh, in that covenant the the vowing of an oath the swear or the vowing of a vow the swearing of an oath to extirpate popery from the land meaning to to completely eradicate any any vestiges of popery in Scotland now obviously popery didn't exist when the when the covenant of grace was established or even when the uh, uh, giving of the law at Mount Sinai was the, done. But uh, the spirit of the Antichrist was at work already uh, within the uh, New Testament period. Um, we see teaching on the Antichrist there. And so we have, we have the condemning of popery um, in, the, in the New Covenant. Uh, in that administration, but what 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 does calling for the extirpation of popery actually? What's that actually doing? Well, it's it's saying that we are going to walk according to the law of God, which dictates that we have no other gods before Him that we not make for ourselves graven images, meaning that we also don't worship him in ways in which he is not commanded, that we do not take his name in vain uh, by calling someone the vicar of Christ, and so on and so forth. So really what they're doing is they're, they're doing the same thing that the Israelites are doing here, which is uh, simply covenanting to walk in God's law, but they're taking the law of God and applying it specifically to specific instances and in how they are going to walk in God's law. So the pattern is the same. We'll see that next week when we look at these covenants. The pattern is the same, uh, but, but they get into more detail. So, the covenant and covenant renewal and covenanting, you're not adding anything new to the covenant of grace. Is there anything that was said in uh, 
the covenant in, in Nehemiah 10 that you could not agree to as well? Can you take the covenant to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his judgments and his statutes? Is that something that you as a new covenant, a New Testament believer can take as well? Yes. Why? Because it's the same covenant that you're under. The covenant that you have made with the Lord, that the Lord has made with you, is no different than the one that uh, these believers experienced and were made partakers of. And so it's important to remember this because so many people will look back on these instances and they'll say, yeah, but that was Old Covenant. Give me an example of a new covenant uh, uh, practice of, of covenanting like this. And that's absurd. That is, that is dispensationalism. Uh, and, and it's borderline Marcionism, which if you remember, Marcionism is the heresy that God is different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. Um, and and we can't we can't fall into that trap that just because God did something in the old covenant and it's not done exactly the same way in the new covenant that is completely done away with we we can't fall into that trap. I was just gonna ask, isn't that basically what Christ summed up the Ten Commandments about loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself? It's really the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we we have the reaffirmation of of the covenants that were given in the old in the Old Testament. Um, you know, when you read in Acts two, Peter saying that the promise is for you and for your children and for those who are afar off, as many as the Lord the Lord may call unto Himself. Um, what what is he quoting there? He's quoting the covenant that God made with Abraham. You know, when, when the Lord uh, says that the law is summarized in the two greatest commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, what's he doing? He is reaffirming the Mosaic covenant, the, the law that was given at Sinai the moral law. And so, you know, just because there are ceremonial aspects that are seen in these covenant renewal ceremonies, and there are, you know, you go back to Second uh, Kings 23, there's a sacrifice that is made before the people. You go back to Exodus 24 with the covenant renewal ceremony there there's there's the the sacrifices that are made and the blood of of the sacrifices is sprinkled upon the people as the blood of the covenant so just because there's ceremonial aspects to these covenant renewal ceremonies in the old testament doesn't mean that they are done away with 
It's just the ceremonial aspects that find their fulfillment and are, and are no more to be continued. But we'll see next week uh, that the New Testament does not abrogate or do away with the Old Testament practice of oaths and covenants. So we'll pick up there next week. We'll talk about the New Testament application of these principles and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the covenants that are part of our heritage. And uh, we'll talk about whether or not they are of a binding nature on us as well. Uh, so any other questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. So is Israel still in a covenant with the Lord from a country? Not necessarily only a country, but individuals who live in Israel who are still following the Lord in a way? I mean, I know that Gentiles are also part of the covenant of grace, but does that make sense? Are, are you asking, are the Jews still covenantally obligated towards the Lord? Well, the, yeah, I guess like, the ones who are practicing Judaism. Well, you were specifically asking about the when. Well, I mean, like, in a way, kind of like geographically speaking, but then some of them are not even like believers at all. So they're more like pagans than anything. So I'm talking more about the ones who practice Judaism. Are they still in a, in a type of covenant with the Lord, even if it's not the covenant of grace? Oh, so they are still <clears throat> under the covenant of grace. Uh, because they are still under that everlasting covenant that was made with Abraham. Okay. Um, and they still have covenantal obligations. Now, the, the difference is, as the covenant continued to be unfolded, and as administrations of the covenant of grace began uh, or continued to be made known, they were covenantally obligated to continue in those further administrations. And that was their error, was they, they stopped at the, the Davidic covenant. They stopped at that administration and did not embrace the, the, the new covenant administration of the covenant of grace. And so, you know, they are still under a covenantal obligation. Uh, and because they are they are failing to uphold their covenantal obligation. They are covenant breakers and are under the curse of God. So it's, it's very much like what we would see with someone who apostatizes from the church. They were still part of, made partakers of the covenant of grace, and they even experienced some of the covenantal blessings, as we see in Hebrews 6, and yet they walked away they are now, un so they have become covenant breakers and they are now under the covenant curses of God. Um, and so for covenant breakers, there is the call to return and, and embrace covenant faithfulness. There is the call for covenant renewal. Um, and I mean, you look at Israel prior to Josiah, 
they had some of the most wicked kings and were embracing some of the most perverse practices ever. Uh, the the law of God, the book of the law, had been lost for centuries. They didn't even have the word of God uh, with them because it had been it had been lost within the temple for centuries, and so you know they were covenant breakers, embracing all kinds of perversions. But once they were confronted by the covenant, when they were confronted by the law of God, the book of the law was found and it was read before the people. Once they were confronted in their sin, they had an obligation to renew their covenant in repentance and driving out all the idols, all of the... Uh, groves, burning them, all of this. And so that's the obligation that's placed upon the Jews today, that they are still covenantally obligated to the covenant of grace, but it is to the fullness of the covenant of grace, which is the new covenant administration. And until they embrace repentance and covenant renewal and, and, and embrace the, the new covenant aspect of that covenant that was made with them with their father Abraham then they will continue to be under the covenant curses gotcha so then it's, it's safe to say that I guess they would be under the covenant of grace but they don't believe in Christ so they're under a curse mm -hmm. because of that but they're still under that covenant of grace should they repent yeah yeah so Anyone who is brought into uh, the covenant of grace is in the covenant of grace, even if they break that covenant. They are still part of the covenant of grace, but they have become covenant breakers. And there, there, is, there is a punishment for covenant breakers that you know, if, they, if they die in their unrepentance, they will, they will face for eternity the curses of their covenant breaking. And for them, punishment in hell will be greater than for the person who never heard the covenant. Uh, and so, you know, there there are degrees of, of, of punishment that are reserved for those covenant breakers. Um, but when we talk about other people, those who have not been brought into the covenant of grace, so, you know, Think of that, that uh, native tribe that's on that island that's never been contacted by modern society. You know, the last time someone tried to go out there, he ended up getting killed. They shot him with arrows. Yeah. Uh, you know, they are not in the covenant of grace because they have never been brought into it. They've never covenanted themselves with God. They're, so they're, they, are, they are apart from the covenant of grace. They are... What, what Paul refers to as strangers of the covenant. Um, but they are still under a covenant as well because all people are under the covenant of works because we are in Adam uh, naturally. So even those who, who have never been brought into the covenant of grace are in a covenant with the Lord and are covenantally obligated to the terms of these covenants. Uh, for those who have never been brought into the covenant of grace, it's the covenant of works. And so they are covenant breakers 
of the covenant of works, just like we all are. Um, and then for, for those of us who have brought into the covenant of grace, the difference there being that Christ, our mediator, has fulfilled the obligations of the covenant. Yeah, uh, the obligations of the covenant of works. Anything else? All right, Brian, can I get you to close us in prayer? Our Lord and our God in heaven, we thank you for bringing us all here today, your holy day. Thank you for giving us health, for giving us the will, the desire to come here to learn the things of God. Thank you for giving us Christ as a sacrifice for our sins. Thank you that he fulfilled the covenant of works. We thank you that from all eternity you made a covenant of grace and brought us into that covenant. May we reflect on that, may we cherish it and abide by it all the days of our life. Please uh, bless the remainder of our time here and bless the preaching of your word to our hearts and lead us all by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.